Today's reading is from John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he was, that he was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wish to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 17. Believe is our current teaching series, the Gospel According to John. We're going to talk about servant leadership tonight. That's what this text is all about. Leadership is influence, writes John C. Maxwell, whose organizations have trained more than one million leaders worldwide. He points out that according to sociologists, even the most isolated individual will influence 10,000 other people during his or her lifetime. That's a lot of people. Look at your sermon notes. Leadership is about influence. Oftentimes when we talk about leadership, immediately there will be people that will say, doesn't it include me? I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're all leaders, we're all influencers. Whether you are at the front or in the middle of the pack, everyone has influence. Whether you are a CEO, teacher, parent, or friend, you will lead. You will influence others, either directly or indirectly, for good or bad. Here's the question for you tonight. What kind of leader are you? What kind of influencer are you? It's a good question. 
something we need to think about. We're going to certainly think about it tonight as we walk through this text. Now, before we head into the text and unpack really some characteristics of servant leadership as displayed here through Jesus Christ, um, in what ways, how should we be influencing people? In what direction? What, what would be ultimately the goal of influencing people. I've got that on your notes right there. And the reason why I thought this was important because oftentimes I've heard parents say, I just want my kids to be happy. Anybody hear that? Ever hear that one? Okay. No, there's a mom over here who said, no way. That's good. I'm so glad because I've read stories about serial killers that were pretty happy. And that's true. Happy? You want your kids to be happy? No, no, no. Here's what you're trying to influence them towards. Servant leaders want to influence the people in their lives in three ways. Help them to get closer to God, closer to others, and closer to who God made them to be. How about that? That's what we want. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for our family and friends, to get closer to God, closer to one another, and closer to who God made them to be. Dr. Henry Cloud calls this safe people. Safe people, when you're around safe people, these are the three things that they will do for you. They'll help you to get closer to God, closer to others, and closer to the person whom God has made you to be. So let's take a look at this. Servant leaders, Christ-like leaders, first of all, number one, are motivated by love. Look at verse one of our text. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having, oh, I love this, this is so sweet, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's showing us that a servant leader, first of all, is motivated by love. 1 John 4, 7, and 8, basically, let me summarize that for you. It's telling us if you aren't a loving person, then you don't know God because God is love. So the very first characteristic, we're going to talk more about this characteristic next week, but really the first characteristic that should be displayed in our life as followers of Jesus Christ is love. People ought to say, wow, that person is a loving person. Jesus is demonstrating his love right here. Without love, service is merely duty. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Without love, service always sours into bitterness. Love is the overflow of joy in our intimate relationship with Christ that gladly meets the needs of others. I was thinking about this because we live in a crazy world that defines love by feelings. Follow your heart, be true to yourself, that kind of nonsense. And that's why we don't have really healthy relationships because most people don't know what love is. So I wrote this down in my notes. I was thinking, love is more than what you feel. I'm not going to discount feelings. Feelings are an important part. But it is much more than what you feel. It is always what you do. Love is always what you do. It is a commitment. It is a promise. That's true love. That's what you see in Christ. What does it say? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's love. That's that commitment. That's a promise all the way to the end. Now, 
Here's the second one. That's the first characteristic of servant leaders. Second one is overcome evil with good. Servant leaders overcome evil with good. Now Jesus has gathered his disciples to share his heart with them. I absolutely love this section of the Gospel of John. We've now entered into what is known as the upper room discourse. Very intimate conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. We are gonna, we're getting a chance to, to peer into the heart of our Savior, to hear what's going on within his heart as he communicates these very tender words, truthful words to his disciples. And so he has gathered his disciples to share his heart with them and to talk about his impending betrayal and suffering as they eat the Passover meal and communion together. Now here's the context. It's important to understand the context of of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The disciples' hearts are proud. Their feet are dirty. And Judas is ready to betray Jesus. Let's talk about proud here first of all so they're proud the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest Luke chapter 22 verses 23 and 24 gives us a little bit of an insight what was going on in the hearts and lives of the disciples as they're heading into this upper room to to have this Passover meal with Jesus and what are they arguing about see they thought like all the other religious leaders that Jesus was ushering in his kingdom kind of a political kingdom We're going to chase off all the Roman rule, and we're going to take over. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. Who's going to sit next to Jesus? What role are we going to play? And they're arguing over who's the greatest. This is insane. And their feet are dirty. Now, here's what's fascinating about this story is that if you lived in a home where you were affluent enough to have a servant, When your guest would come into the home, before they would walk into the home, the servant would be out at the door, and the servant would wash each person's feet before they came in. If you didn't have a servant, you would wash your own feet, or what you would do is you would take turn washing each other's feet. So the disciples should have taken turn washing each other's feet before they entered into the home, but nobody washed anybody's feet. The disciples are ready to fight for a throne, but not for a towel so they're proud their feet their feet are dirty (laughs) I didn't say that right their feet are dirty and then you got Judas look at verse 2 during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him we're going to talk a little bit more about that we're going to talk about the nature of sin next week but what was going on in his heart I think it'll be really important. We're going to make a contrast between uh, him, a false disciple, to what is a true disciple and what is a struggling disciple. We'll look at those, those contrasts next week in this story. I think it really gives us some good insight. But I was thinking about this story, and if I, oftentimes I'll kind of put myself uh, into the story, and, uh, and it's probably dangerous for me to even consider the fact that I would pretend to be Jesus here in this story that would be scary but but I mean if you were to put yourself in Jesus's shoes here if if I was washing the disciples feet and knew that Judas was going to betray me and Peter was going to deny me I'm thinking about I'd get that water scalding hot (laughs) and I'd look for a big old wire brush I don't even know if they had wire brushes in those days but we're going to try to find something 
Maybe I'll just beat their feet with rocks and scalding hot water. That'll teach them. How dare them betray me and deny me? I mean, isn't that our kind of natural tendency? Someone punches you in the throat, you're going to punch them back even harder. In fact, preemptive strike, you're going to hit them before they have a chance to hit you. That's, that's our culture. I mean, all you got to do is look on social media. Man, it's like back and forth, and people are attacking each other and coming after each other. It's ugly. That's the culture we live in. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, what we see in here is that he overcomes evil with good. In fact, it tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, it says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. That's almost like an impossibility, isn't it, on our, you know, on our own. It's, it's really supernatural. What he's saying is that don't become like the evil that's being done to you. Don't become like the evil that's being done to you, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is showing us that. That's servant leadership. Now, how is he able to do that? That takes us to the next point, number three. Servant leaders operate out of security. He's able to do it because he's, he's secure. Look at verse, verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that speaks of authority and purpose, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, that's his identity. He understood his authority, purpose, and identity. So think about this. As children of God, that alone is enough to, to give us Identity, authority, and uh, what else did I say? Purpose as children of God to be able to face anything, to give us enough security. So as children of God, we have been given authority, purpose, and identity. We don't work for our authority, purpose, and identity. We work from it. See, when we're, when we're working for it, someone punches us in the throat, we punch them back because we're not secure. An insecure person is overcome by evil and responds in like manner. That's an insecure person. That's our culture. So our identity, what is our identity? The great commandment. Anybody know what the great commandment is? What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our identity. That out of our love for God, we love him with all of our heart. And then out of that overflow, we love others. That's our identity. What about our authority and purpose? How about the great commission? So that was the great commandment. What's the great commission? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what the great commission is. What's the great commission? Great commission. So we need to have both the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbors, yourself, and also the great commission. That's our authority and our purpose. What is it? It's, in fact, Jesus said, I've got it there on your notes, the address for it, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that's Jesus. So therefore, go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've written, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the great, 
the Great Commission. So out of this love, we've got the Great Commandment. That's our identity. But then we've got our authority. He's given us authority. That authority and purpose to make disciples. Hey, listen to me. Let me can I share something with you? Um, I'm, I've been thinking about this. I'm seeing a lot of Christians chasing after a lot of crazy conspiracy stuff. It's getting them off mission. You know what I'm talking about? There's just a lot of crazy stuff out there right now. And I've got some friends that are even doing that. And um, you know what we need to be doing? We need to be making disciples. That's what he's called us to do. And he hasn't changed that great commission. It's still the same. And the best thing we can do for our country, the best thing we can do for our community, the best thing you can do for your family, the best thing you can do for the people around you is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, and make disciples. Help them to see Christ more clearly. That is what will transform our lives and transform our, our city and our country is that Christians need to get busy. And I, I see a lot of Christians that are distracted. That they're chasing a lot of rabbits, a lot of crazy stuff. I'm not saying that some of those things aren't important. Yeah, we, we need to talk about some of those issues that are out there. But the most important thing is that we are, we are following him and we're operating out of this identity that we have of the great commandment and, and our authority and purpose, the great commission. That's important. Operating out of security. And that'll give us that security that we need so that we can continue to respond to the circumstances of our day. They're only going to get worse, by the way. They certainly are. There might be a reprieve for a little while. Things will look good, look up, and all that. But it's going to get darker and darker, and God wants His church to get brighter and brighter as we point more and more to Him and put on display His glory. Here's number four. So servant leaders take the initiative unannounced. Verse 4, so Jesus rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus does not get up and say, okay, man, I am now going to demonstrate humility. You can't demonstrate humility by calling attention to it, okay? You pretty much discounted yourself by de demonstrating humility if you're going to say, I'm going to demonstrate humility. This is what it looks like. I had a guy a number of years ago tell me, as he introduced himself to me, and I was talking to him for a little bit, and he said, and I'm a very humble guy. I go, really? <laughs> Not anymore. So Jesus doesn't do that. He takes the initiative unannounced. That's what the servant leaders do. They see a need, they move on it. They don't wait to be asked. They just say, how can I get involved? How can I help these people? What can I do? Matthew 23, 6 through 12, Jesus, in contrast to the religious leaders, the religious leaders love the places of honor and to be exalted and served. But Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The word humility is an interesting word. It means to stoop low. Mark 10, 45, it says, Jesus is, is saying this. He says, I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is so contrary to our culture and, and to, to many of our leaders, our political leaders. It's all about being served. 
Jesus said, no, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is how I know the Bible isn't made up. I know this because no one can conceive of a humble, serving, loving God like Jesus washing the dirt and dung off of his disciples' feet. Who would come up with that? No one in our culture. This is a God book, and this is the God man in Christ Jesus. And when you let that get a hold of your heart, it it transforms you. You become a servant leader like him. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. The word selfish ambition is self-promotion. Now, why would people promote themselves? Because they struggle with the next word, conceit. Conceit is a word that means vainglory. In fact, the King James Version would use that word. So it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, trying to promote yourself, or conceit, vain glory. The reason why we promote ourselves is because we're empty of glory. But then he makes the contrast, but in humility. So humility must be the opposite of empty of glory. I believe that a humble person is someone who's filled up with the glory of God. I I like the definition that C.S. Lewis uses for humility. It's a blessed self-forgetfulness. It's not that we think less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less because we are captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what He's done, that He came to serve us. His life was a ransom for us, filling us up with all the love and acceptance and security we would ever need all the glory we would ever need in Him. And then therefore, that's why we can empty ourselves out for others so that they can be filled up in Christ Jesus. He goes on and he said, but in humility, this is what humility looks like, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so your interests are important, but also to the interest of others. The interest of others. Here's number five. So take the initiative unannounced. That was four. Number five, servant leaders show no favoritism. Look at verse five. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash, notice this, the disciples' feet. That's all of the disciples. No favoritism. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Romans 2.11 says God shows no favoritism partiality. James 2.1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, you know why I like that about God? That, that's a characteristic of God. It's one of his a- attributes. He doesn't show any partiality. He, listen to me. It's, I like it because he has no secret society of intimate friends. We can all be his friend. We can all have intimacy with him. I mean, I, I went to a church for a little while, and the pastor would convey almost this attitude that, like, he had a close, he had a, he had a special, intimate relationship with God that nobody else could have. In fact, we needed to go to him to find out what God wanted for our lives. It was very cult-like. That was very unhealthy. And I told him, I said, you know what, I think I can have an intimate relationship with God just as close as yours. And, and, um, and that's the truth. There's no partiality with God. The invitation is to all, all of us. In in fact, I I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, you can be as close to God as you want to be. 
How close do you want to be? He shows no partiality. He's made the way open for all through the cross of Jesus Christ. We have access into the throne room of God. He shows no favoritism. And you can see that with all of his, his disciples. So let me ask you this question. Did Jesus befriend Judas? Absolutely. Did he love Judas? Yes. Did he serve Judas? Yes, just like he did with all of the disciples. Now think about this. Judas saw Jesus open blind eyes, raise the dead, water ski without a boat. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. He healed people without copay or a deductible. Free health care. Judas saw that and much more. I was thinking about this. No one had a better church experience than Judas. He couldn't blame it on some church. Hey, I went to that church. Oh, these people are horrible. I'm, I'm never going back to church again. I've heard people actually say that. And I, obviously they missed Jesus in that whole transaction. No one had a better church experience than, than Judas. Going to a good church and sitting under good Bible teaching is not enough. You must give your heart to Christ and apply his word to your life. That's what we can learn. It's one of many lessons we can learn from Judas. He had a front row seat. What was going on in his life? What's the nature of sin? We're going to talk about that next week. You have to come back and hear that one. The whole meal, when you study through this 13th chapter, it's absolutely beautiful. The whole meal is an appeal to Judas. Three times in this chapter, Jesus makes it very clear. Someone is going to betray me. Verse 11, verse 18, verse 21. Now, why would Jesus say that? He's giving Judas opportunity to repent, to turn back from what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Washing his feet, sitting beside him, dipping into the bowl with him. Here's, here's what it's showing us. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus doesn't turn away from us. We turn away from him. That's what Judas is doing. He's got all sorts of opportunities. He keeps pushing Jesus away. 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Romans 2.4 tells us that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So he shows no favoritism. Servant leadership shows no favoritism. Here's number six. Servant leadership can receive as well as give. Can receive as well as give. Look at verse 6 and 7 and 8. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And then verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. It's interesting when we study the life of Peter. I really like Peter a lot, so I think I can relate to him. But Peter doesn't seem to have an inner voice, only an outer voice, okay? You know what I'm saying? 
he is always saying everything that, is, that he is thinking. Have you ever been around someone like that? It's like they tell you everything that they're thinking. Anytime Jesus says to you, like he said here, you won't understand, that's probably a good time to keep quiet, okay? But no, Peter just keeps talking. And you'll see that throughout this text. Peter is overt. Judas is covert. Interesting contrast. With Peter, you always know what he's thinking. With Judas, you never know what he's thinking. If you were to ask which one of these two are most likely to betray Jesus, which, by the way, as we continue through this chapter next week, you're going to see that the disciples are clueless when Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. They're like, Who's, who could that be? They don't know. But if you were to ask people that are watching the lives of of the, all of these disciples, which one of these two between Peter and Judas are most likely to betray Jesus? Most people would pick Peter because he is so impetuous, reckless, rash, impulsive. Peter says here, you shall never wash my feet in verse 8. Now this sounds like humility, but it's actually false humility. When you talk about that, we'll exp- let's explore that a little bit. This is a pride that refuses to admit that your feet are dirty and need cleansing. It tells us in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's talk about all of us. So if you're in my small group, and everybody's sharing their struggles, we come around to you, and you say, yeah, I pretty much have it all together. I have no struggles. I would say, you're self-deceived. That's what it says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're not living in the reality of the truth. We're not up close and personal to Christ so that he can expose truly what's going on in our heart. But it says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the reasons why we, I I tell my wife this all the time, we're getting older and and, uh, much older and we always say, man, we gotta deal with our junk right now because... uh, in 10 years, <laughs> this stuff just gets worse, okay? So we got to start working on it right now. And, and I've been saying that for the last 30 years, okay? Because we, we're, we've been working on our stuff for a long time. And uh, if you have someone that's just kind of slightly bitter early on in their life and they never deal with it, how do you think they are later on in life? Do you think they get any better? Not typically. No, they, they get harder to live with. They're angrier. They haven't dealt with the hurt in their life. That's why it's so important to really kind of say, hey, you know, God, deal with my heart. <laughs> that's, that's humility. Lord, I, I'm not going to pretend, you know, that I have it all together. I, I kind of feel like I do, but it's obvious that I don't, and, and I need for you to reveal to me, what are you, what are you doing? What do you want to do in my life? 
I'm obviously in denial. It tells us in uh, James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. And in fact, it goes on in James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, and you'll be healed. So, so we need to be a community of people where we can share our struggles, our sins, so we can pray with one another, and we can be healed. That's part of receiving as well as giving. We're not here, and I'm not here just to try to help everybody else out. I need help too. We all need help. We've all got to be honest about our lives. So I was thinking about this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And the only reason why we stay that way is because we're not honest about not being okay. We, and, and so it's okay to, to not be okay and to be able to share that with others and to have people that will rally around you and support you and love you. This should be the safest place in town, in your own church family, in your small group. I've, I've wanted to get a sign, and we put it out here in the front somewhere, and on the sign it would say, no perfect people allowed. What do you think of that? Would that be good? Okay. So let me ask you some questions as it relates to receiving as well as giving. Are you teachable? How well do you receive criticism? Do you seek advice? Do you confess your faults? Do you take responsibility? Are you a quick forgiver? That would be all signs, if you could say yes on all of those, then there's signs of progress happening in your life. You're a receiver as well as a giver. Listen to Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Number seven, servant leader. Want Christ more than anything. Look at verses eight through 11. So Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And, and Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Woo, that's a gut punch. Notice Simon Peter's response. He said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, exclamation mark. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now think about this. Judas is willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's a few hundred bucks. So what would I be willing to exchange my relationship with Jesus for? Sex? Money? Power, fame, independence, comfort, relationship, career. I see people doing it all the time. Pick your poison. Any one of those. 
Peter wants Christ more than anything and is willing to do whatever it takes. That's what he's showing here. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He's talking to second-generation Christians. He's kind of putting on display this passion that he certainly had. He still had pride. He was struggling with pride. You can see that. But once Jesus says, hey, if I didn't wash your feet, you can't have anything, can't have anything to do with me. And he's like, no, no, no. Whatever you got to do, man, I want you. I, I want you more than anything. And you see this passion as he writes his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. This is what he says uh, to second-generation Christians. He says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Inexpressible? Yeah, it's indescribable. Do you have those moments with him that you want him so badly and you experience him that you can't even put it into words? That's what he's talking about. Peter had those experiences. And not only that, it's not just indescribable, it's indestructible that there's no amount of suffering that could ever take that from you. No matter what you go through, you could have that joy in your life that sees you through the difficulties. Number eight, servant leaders lead by example. Look at verses 12 through 15. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Here's the standard. Here's the standard for leadership right here. I was thinking about parenting, and I think this is really uh, not just leadership, servant leadership, but, but also parenting. Do as I say, not as I do is, is a terrible way to parent. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you guys ever, did you guys ever hear that maybe growing up? or My mom's sitting back there. I don't think she ever said that to me. Actually, she did a couple times, okay. No, I don't think she did. I heard that from someone. <laughs> oh, that was good. Oh, that's really bad. God bless my dad. He's in heaven. He probably did before he became a Christian, before he really committed his life to Christ. Do as I say, not as I do. That's called hypocrisy. And that's a good way to jack up your kids. That's just a horrible way to, to lead. I've learned through the years that more things are caught than taught with kids. Parents, if you want your kids to be loving, kind, and forgiving, and giving, forgiving, and giving, then you need to be loving, kind, forgiving, and giving. Here's what I've learned Healthy parenting comes out of healthy, healthy parents. So if individually, you need to work on you as a parent so that then, you, then you're going to pass that on, that healthiness to your kids. That's, so focus on you. Focus on you, and then the natural uh, overflow of your life, you'll create an atmosphere that's healthy and for your kids to become healthy. 
And, um, and that's what Jesus is showing us. I mean, this is true about any, anything, parenting, any organization. Focus on you. Focus on you being healthy. One of our kids was sitting in the back seat of our car. This was back... Uh, Sitting in it, he was sitting in his car seat, little guy, and he was back then. I, I don't know if they do this anymore. They had, can you buy those seats with uh, steering wheels on them still? Okay, so my kid had the steering wheel, and we were driving down the road, and I was driving, and all of a sudden, what came out of his mouth shocked both Nancy and I. He, he said, Get out of the way, you idiot! <laughs> and we immediately knew he had been riding with one of my sisters. And I won't, I won't tell you which one, but my sister Alo is a very aggressive driver. And she's sitting right back there. So I don't think it's going to be safe for me to walk out this door here. I think my mom and my sister are going to hurt me. Let's just start praying right now. And so more things are caught than taught. I probably said worse things, okay? So he, we saw plenty of that. Here's what it tells us in 1 Timothy 4.16. We're talking about lead by example here. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, keep a close watch on yourself. This is really wise advice. So if you're a leader, you're a parent, if you want to influence people, work on you. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on, on, on doctrine, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's, that's pretty powerful words. Keep a close watch, not just a watch, a close watch on what? Yourself and your doctrine, your teaching. Persist. The word persist is the Greek word is epimino. It's hypermino means dwell, abide. We get the word abide. So make this your home and be hyper about it. This is really important. Take a close look at yourself regularly and your doctrine, making sure that your life lines up with your doctrine, your teaching. And what will happen? You'll not only save yourself, but you're going to save those that are, you're influencing pretty important. Tells us in Hebrews 2.1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. He's talking about doctrine. Lest we drift away from it. We live in a culture of drifters. We're drifting. We're seeing people drift away from the shoreline, away from good solid truth, away from doctrine. When we take our kids to California on the beach, or even when we would, we'd do a lot of water skiing, Roosevelt Lake, Lake, Lake Powell, we'd camp out on the beach, and when our kids were small, we'd uh, put life preservers on them, and they would float around in there. But what we would tell them is that as you're out there on a floating device or whatever, we want you to stay, and we have a couple... Uh, points of reference, a couple boats out there. We want you to stay between these boats, and you see that buoy out there? Don't get close to that buoy because outside that buoy is where a lot of jet boats and ski boats and, and all kinds of things are happening, and if you get out there, those things will take you down. They could kill you. So we gave them these points of reference, 
And you know, when you're a kid, you're out there having a good time, just kind of floating, drifting, and we didn't realize it, but our kids had drifted all the way out to that buoy, getting ready to go outside that buoy, and we didn't know it until some other campers from another camp came over and said, hey, uh, whose kids are those out there? And we looked and we go, oh. So we got on a boat real quick and got out there and grabbed them and brought them back in. So what we have to do and what we tell our, teach our kids, and of course, we should have been more responsible adults watching our kids through all of that, but we would say, hey, every once in a while through all the play throughout the day, is stick your head up and look for these points of reference to make sure, and if you're getting too close to the, to the buoy or whatever it is, move inside. Keep moving inside. You've got to do the same thing. You've got to look at your life and study God's Word and understand what it means to have a healthy relationship, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. What, where are the points of reference? How do you know you're within the points of reference? Do you, your life is lining up with, with what you believe. That's the reason why you need to know what it means to, to follow Jesus and to love Jesus and to reach out and love others and, and how to communicate and how to resolve conflict and how to manage your finances and how to have a good, healthy marriage and how to parent your kids. All of that is in God's Word, and it gives us these points of reference so that in the busyness of our life, we've got to, from time to time, go, wait a minute, where am I? Before I try to help anybody else stay within these points of reference. I gotta make sure I'm within those points of reference. That's leadership. That's servant leadership. And then here's the next one, number nine. Servant leaders never stop growing. Look at verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We become like our leaders a church, family, nation, organization rises or falls upon its leadership. Leaders are learners. When leaders stop learning, they stop leading, they stop influencing. That's why it tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5.11 through 14, listen to what he says here. The writer in Hebrews, he says, we have much more to say, but you have become dull of hearing. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So servant leaders, continue to grow. Are you growing? Are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Here's the last one, number 10. Servant leaders live a blessed life. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here's what's fascinating about the gospel. The gospel is that we are accepted and blessed in Christ, therefore we want to obey. And when we obey, we are blessed. Did you hear what I said? So, so we don't obey to get his blessing. We have his blessing and acceptance through Christ, therefore we want to obey, and as we continue to obey, there is blessing to that obedience. That's what he's saying here. Don't just listen to this, but do it. Be a servant leader. Follow my example. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He goes on and says, God loves a, what kind of a giver? 
cheerful, hilarious. That's the word. That's what that word means. You're just looking for opportunity to get involved, to give of your time, your talent, your finances, whatever it might be. You're looking for that opportunity because you know that's like sowing seeds so that you can reap a harvest of souls and people's lives as they get closer to God and closer to one another and closer to what God has called them to be. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Next weekend, the title of next weekend's message is Looks May Be Deceiving. John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. We're going to look at the contrast between a true, uh, a true disciple, false disciple, and a struggling disciple. You can see that in that text. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders. If you need uh, prayer, we would love to pray with you. If you are new, I'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about this message, I'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. So, Father God, we, we can only imagine what our marriages, homes, churches, and our community would be like if more and more people were servant leaders, Christ-like influencers. We confess that it is our pride that holds us back. But when we are reminded that our Savior, Jesus, didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us, nothing humbles us more and fills us with unspeakable and glorious joy. Thank you, Jesus, for emptying yourself of your glory by coming from heaven to earth to die in our place for our sins so that we could be filled with all of the love and approval and acceptance and security and significance that we would ever need so that we can in turn empty ourselves so that others can be filled, filled up with you. May Desert Breeze be a community filled with servant leaders. We pray for your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.